find Philippians chapter 4. And I want us to look tonight at, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. We'll begin in verse 7 and then touch all these verses uh, tonight from the Word of God. I want to speak on this subject, how to have deep peace. How to have deep peace. Now, there, there's something called shallow peace. Shallow peace means, you know, when your bank account's up and you feel good and all the cars are running and no one's sick and it can give you a sense of false security and you, for, you can forget to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We can have this shallow peace just thinking that everything's okay and we don't need to trust God and things are just going wonderful and then the rug gets uh, pulled out from under you and you realize shallow peace will not cut it. What we need is deep peace. And I'm just wondering tonight who in this room... You just need some peace. I'm a pastor. That's what God's called me to do. Uh, I love the flock that I get to shepherd and lead and teach and pray for. And I'm telling you, in recent days, we've just had a lot of needs in our church. I'm, I'm thinking about one of our deacons, and I went to see him last Sunday after I preached. He had severe infection in his foot, and they had to amputate it. And my wife, Becky, and I just prayed over Mark and Sherry, he just needs deep peace. I think about Gary and Susie. I see them every week on the third row. They're my cheerleaders when I'm preaching. And I haven't seen them in a few weeks. And I asked someone about them. And over the Christmas holidays, Gary had multiple strokes. He was so vibrant and healthy. But now he's incapacitated and they're not able to be in church. They're really going through a valley I think about a, a lady in our church named Courtney and her brother just took his life and she's just reeling right now in grief and full of questions about, you know, suicide and, and uh, praying that uh, her brother knew Jesus before he died and the grief comes in waves. I think about a family right now that I'm praying for and their marriage is is hanging by a spider web and we've just encouraged them in recent days to get into biblical counseling. And then I think about my own life. My sweet mom is in hospice there in her home. I'm the baby of six. I'm a mama's boy. I'm unashamed to say that. And now just the struggle of our family coming around our mama and loving her and just asking God for his peace. How about you? Where are you at tonight? A brand new year, month one of 2024. We have no idea what awaits us. We don't know about tomorrow, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we all tonight need to understand what is deep peace. And God has given us his word. And we're going to see tonight what deep peace is. I want to begin in verse 7. I want you to look at Philippians 4, 7. And we're actually going to see what it means to have deep peace When Paul wrote, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There it is. Deep peace, Paul said, surpasses all understanding. I wanted to understand that phrase better I did some word studies, looked at different translations, and I learned some stuff. One writer said, it goes beyond anything we can imagine. Another translation, exceeds anything going on in our life. It transcends everything. 
In other words, when you're going through something and people come up to you and say, how are you coping? How are you surviving? Why aren't you just quitting and caving in? Tell me the secret sauce. Well, if you are a believer and your Holy Spirit filled, you know it's not you. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that is guarding your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's why it's so wonderful to be born again and be saved. The world does not know this peace. And if you're in this room tonight and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you tonight to be saved. We want you to come to Christ because the Bible said in Ephesians chapter 2, he is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you just did not know where the strength was coming from, where the wisdom was coming from, and you've then paused to say, it's God's peace in my life. I've been a pastor for 31 years. I began my ministry as a pastor in 1993 in a little country church in South Mississippi, Columbia, Mississippi. And I was pastoring that church. I was single at the time. Becky and I had not been married. And I had something come up that I wasn't prepared for, never been taught how to uh, lead in a situation like this. Someone prominent in the church died. I was young in the ministry. I had never conducted a funeral. The lady that died, her name was Judy. And she was young, 40. Massive heart attack. Took her into eternity. Now, here's the thing about sweet Judy. She is our pianist. And we were a small country church. We didn't have backup pianists. We only had Judy. And when 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 Judy died, the music died. I mean, we, we didn't have a pianist. And furthermore, she was loved. And she and Kenny took me in. I was a young single guy. I'd eat at their home often. And it just, it just rocked my world when Judy died. I didn't know what to do. I was beside myself. I was a student at New Orleans Seminary. I'd drive 120 miles one way to pastor that church. And I remember I was crying all the way back to New Orleans. I didn't know how to conduct a funeral. I remember pulling off the side of the road and, and making a phone call in a phone booth. Now, young people, years ago before cell phones, we'd have to go into a place where Superman would change to become Superman and make calls. And I made a call back to Jacksonville, Florida, to my pastor, Brother Ronnie McKenzie. And as I'm sobbing and crying, he's coaching me on how to do a funeral. And I did the funeral for Judy. And I remember how upset I was at the funeral home. And her husband, Kenny, put his arm around me. And he said, Preacher Jeff, we're going to be okay because I've got the deep peace of God in this moment. Now, here I'm a young preacher. I'm to be ministering to him. He's ministering to me. And I can still hear that countryman's words when he talked about deep peace. And when I took this text and began to prayerfully put a message together, I thought about my friend that I hadn't seen him in decades. But he taught me that day what deep peace looks like. Do you have it? I'm going to show you today from an open Bible how to get it if you don't. I'm going to show you tonight how to retrieve it if you've lost it. Because there are peace thieves out there. You might call them peace burglars. And they're always trying to steal your peace. I read this humorous story some time ago. It goes like this. There was a woman for years who could not have a peaceful night's sleep. Because she was always worried that a burglar was going to break in their home. 
And so she and her husband could never sleep. He could never get any rest because she'd say, did you hear that noise? Did you hear that noise? Go down and check. And this went on for 10 years. That poor woman looked like a raccoon, had dark circles around her eyes, couldn't sleep. Then one night, did you hear that noise? Did you hear the noise? Go down there and check. I think it's a burglar. He's like, it's no, it's a burglar. Go down there and check. So he goes down there and lo and behold, it's a burglar. So he goes up to the man and said, you shouldn't be here, but I got to shake your hand and I got to take you upstairs to meet my wife. She's been looking for you for 10 years. Well, burglars can steal material things, but this world and the culture and the seduction of the enemy that teases us and tricks us thinking that our security is in other things outside of Christ often does a number on us by stealing our peace. I don't know about you, but I have an earned PhD in worrying. I've been a worrier since I was a kid. It's just kind of in my personality. And this is something that I believe in sanctification because God has been sanctifying me over many, many years, learning to let go and learning to trust. And I just have to be honest tonight, be real vulnerable. I mean, we're family. We're in God's family. I still struggle with anxiety and worry at times. That's why I'm big into scripture memory. That's why I believe in getting the word of God in your heart. It will help with anxiety. But sometimes I worry about things and the thing that I worried about never happened. Has it ever happened to you? I learned that uh, 90% of our worries are never true. In other words, they never come to pass. You hear about that lady that worried for 40 years that she would die of cancer? And she died of pneumonia at age 70. She wasted 40 years worrying about the wrong disease to take her out. And there's a lot of us. We worry about our grandchildren. We worry about our job. Uh, my daughter just got married a few months ago. And so Macy, my daughter, and my son-in-law, they're newlyweds. They're poor, don't have a lot. And uh, his truck's been out on the blink. And he just got uh, word from the Ford dealership it's going to take $6,800 to get his piece of junk truck to run again. And so as I'm coming to Hibernia to preach tonight, she's texting me saying, Daddy, we're in a mess. Daddy, what are we going to do? And I thought, what a great opportunity to shepherd my daughter to say, you know what? We can trust God because God is our source. God is our provider. God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. And when, when there's a need, he'll kill one of the cows. He's going to take care of you. And so many of us are fretful and worried about things that we need to put them in the hands of God. So how do we get deep peace in our life? Well, let's start verses 1 through 3. Verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in these first three verses, we're going to learn with an open Bible tonight how to have deep peace. Are you ready? Will you write it down? Number one, resolve personal conflict. Resolve personal conflict. Is there somebody right now you don't like? 
Is there somebody you're not talking to? You hadn't hearted any of their social media posts in three years because you just don't like them. You don't like the hairdo. You don't like the Disney cruises they go on. You don't like anything. You just can't rejoice with them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody you didn't want to see during the holidays and you even creatively avoided them. Come up close and hear me. If you have personal conflict tonight as a child of God with anybody, let me tell you what I know about you. You have no deep peace. You cannot have deep peace when you're at odds with the family of God. You cannot have deep peace when you are estranged and not speaking to someone and you're at odds and even you don't like someone to the point of hatred of them when they even come to mind. Paul is going to teach us we've got to resolve personal conflict. Well, let's see how Paul started in verse 1. Notice he starts with love. See, that's what we need in all our relationships is love. And Paul had a deep love for this church. I can't prove this, but I think this was one of Paul's favorite churches. Paul Paul started a lot of churches. He planted a lot of churches. He pastored a lot of people. But I believe that the church at Philippi, they were special to Paul. You can see it even in verses 1. He would say things like, I love, I long for. He would say, you're my joy. He would say, you're my crown. Paul was close to them. They were a healthy church. He really didn't deal with any doctrinal sideways issues with them. This Sunday, we close out the book of Corinthians. We've been preaching through Corinthians for a year. Whoa, it's been a doozy. I preached on tongues in the church on December the 17th. Merry Christmas, church. So, I mean, it's been a tough book. And we've dealt with all kind of things like believers suing one another and, you know, men and women and their roles in the church and, you know, all kind of things. And Paul had to really take them to the mat. But when you read about the church at Philippi, he commends them. He affirms them. They were really a healthy church. And Paul's such a loving pastor. He, 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 he's wanting them to know he loves them. I think it's important for the church to know that their pastor loves them. That their pastors love them. And uh, pastors need to express that. Pastors need to show that. And Paul models that for all pastors and how he loved them. And he's not only telling them that he loves them. He's saying, love one another. Be loving toward one another. That's how we show people God. See, God is invisible, but God becomes visible when we're loving. People see God at work. They see God is real when we treat one another right, when we love one another with sacrificial agape love. So Paul is wanting them to be loving. He also tells them to stand firm. Do you see it there in uh, verse 1? Stand firm. That's sort of like a Pauline word. He loves to use this word stand firm and it just means, uh, it just means to be stable. It just means to be rock solid. It just means that, you know, you, you have stability and you're not being moved by the whims of the culture. And you know what will make a marriage and a family and a church stable when you're showing love for one another? You moms and dads, would you listen to me for a moment? You got children in the home? You need to show love toward your spouse. Show affection. 
Now the kids, they, they act like it grosses them out. They're like, ooh, mom and dad's kissing. But they'll walk away with a smile on their face because it gives them security. See, there's security when a mom and dad love one another. There's security when pastors on the staff love one another. When pastors quit loving one another on the staff, you know what you call that? Staff infection. And staff infection can kill the body, right? And it can harm the body of Christ. So Paul said, what makes us rock solid? When we are loving one another, there will be deep peace in our relationships. All right, get ready. Paul's about to lay down the law. He's about to swing a sledgehammer. He's about to throw a grenade in this church meeting. He's about to turn up the heat because now he's going to address two women who had personal conflicts with one another. Back in Bible days, women didn't get along. Today, men and women still don't get along. And so Paul is going to deal with these two women about unresolved conflict. And would you listen to this? He names them. Can you imagine Pastor Scott Yerka getting up here on a Sunday morning, packed church house and saying, we got a couple misbehaving members of Hibernia that aren't speaking to one another. And he calls out their name, talking about sinners sweating in church. That's what happened. See, see, what we're used to is the pastor coming and open up the Bible. But in these ancient days of the first century, before the canonized scripture was all put together, they would read these letters that were inspired by God from Paul's pen. And so a letter would arrive to that various community, and one of the elders would get up to read the letter. Can't you imagine that setting? They're all there. They're all excited. Got a word from Paul. Paul wrote us a letter. Place is all excited. Oh, and you see, we got two women. One of them's name is Yodia, and one of them's name is Syntyche. I just got to ask this question. Anybody in the room named Yodia or Syntyche, or do you have any kin named that? Good, I'm going to put fun at the names in. Uh, I've been working on this Syntyche. As I was driving to Hibernia, I kept saying it, Syntyche, Syntyche. Because I wanted to say it right, but I had a backup plan in case I couldn't say Syntyche. I was just going to say, so touchy. Because some people are just so touchy. I mean, they can get their feelings hurt so easy, right? But her name wasn't so touchy. Her name was Syntyche. And these women aren't talking. They're not getting along. So when they read this letter from Paul, don't you see Yodia? She's sitting over here, and Sintiki's sitting over here because they don't like one another. There's Yodia over there, and she's got her journal out. She's the best note taker at Philippi Baptist Church. She's like, I can't wait for Brother Paul to give us some gospel gold. I want to receive the word of God. Boy, I'm going to write all these good notes from the Apostle Paul. And then here's Sintiki, and she's over here thinking, I hope he preaches on hypocrisy because the biggest hypocrite in the church is over there. And her name's Yodia. And so there's this contention going on, and neither one of them had deep peace because peace cannot exist in a divided heart. Notice something. These women were believers. They both were believers. Look at verse 2. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. So we're not talking about Christmas, Easter only church attenders. We're talking about women 
that are in women's Bible study. We're talking about women that are mentoring younger women. We're talking about women that are working with preschoolers and children. We're talking about ladies that go on mission trips in the church. These women loved the Lord. They were spirit-filled, but they were not getting along. You know what that tells me? Sometimes the best servants in the church can get sideways with one another. It happens and it, it might be going on right now. Here's what I'm a firm believer in. Anytime you open up the Bible, the Word of God begin to preach, the Spirit of God will convict. And any stuff out there that's been swept under the rug, the Spirit of God will put the searchlight on it and you got to deal with it. And I have no idea. The pastors told me nothing. But could it be there's some of that going on right here at the wonderful Hibernia Baptist Church? Maybe it's you not speaking to someone. Maybe you're at odds with someone. These women, they, they were, they were workers. It sounds like they even went on a mission trip with Paul. Man, is that not the most amazing thing to go on a mission trip with preacher Paul? I, I learned something new when I was putting this message together. I've never thought about it. But you know, the church at Philippi, the way it got started, Paul, uh, and Silas and Luke, they went into Philippi. There was no synagogue there. You had to have 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. And there's this woman named Lydia. She had this little Bible study together for a bunch of women. And Paul shared the gospel and all these women got saved. And some people believe that maybe in that early group of women was a woman named Yodia and one named Sintiki. And they were born again and they became leaders in the church. But now they're not talking to one another. I've always been curious about these women uh, what was their relationship? Someone said it could have been mother-daughter. Is there a mother-daughter not speaking tonight? Some said they could have been sisters. I wonder if there's a woman in the room tonight and you're not talking to your sister. I wonder if there's a man in the room tonight and you're not talking to your brother. They could have been besties, best friends. You ever had a best friend that you had an altercation with and they're no longer your bestie anymore? You don't even like them. Used to hang around with them all the time. And now you barely even speak to them. The relationship is toxic. The relationship has been soured. That's what's going on. Christians not getting along. What was the conflict about? We're all curious, right? I don't believe it was doctrinal. Because Paul's MO, if there was doctrinal cray-cray going on, he would deal with it quickly. I don't think it's doctrinal. I don't think it's behavioral. Because again, when there would be behavioral issues in the church, Paul would deal with it head on. If it's not doctrinal, and if it's not behavioral, what was the issue? I think it was trivial. I think it was something so... Are you listening? I think it was something so stupid that Paul didn't even mention it. I've been married to my sweet wife Becky for 30 years. And you know some of the... Arguments that we have had over our married life, we don't call them arguments, we call them heated discussions. And you know, as we look back, we would get upset over dumb stuff. Now we laugh at it. And you know, some of us, we, we can make a pit out of a pothole. We can take a small matter and make it a big, bigger matter. We can allow small little trivial things, not even worth mentioning, cause us not to speak to one another. I wonder if that is going on in the life of some believer tonight. Well, I want to know who is at fault. Paul says both. Look at verse 2. He said, I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche. 
So he says, Yodia, make this right. Santiki, make this right. Paul's not pointing the finger at one. You ever heard this statement? It's a mighty thin pancake that doesn't have two sides. There's always another side. And so Paul entreats them. It's an interesting word. The word entreat there means gentle force. The biographer Abraham Lincoln said he was known to have velvet steel. And so Paul is soft and loving and pastoral, yet he is direct. And he says to these women, you get this together. You work this out. Well, what is the solution when you've got a, a, dif, a, a disagreement with somebody? How do you ever agree? He tells us right in the text. Look in the text. He said, he said, these women, I'm telling you, I want you to agree in the Lord. See it? We may not agree on lots of things, but we all better agree on Jesus. We may not agree on a lot of things, but we need to all be on the same page when it comes to biblical truth, absolute truth, the Word of God, the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are to have that in common. Paul said, you're side by side in the gospel. He talked about all the things that they were doing. They were laboring in verse 3, side by side. But now they had become enemies. Paul even reminded them in verse number uh, 3, he said, look at the last phrase of verse 3. Your names are in the book of life. I think Paul wanted them to catch a glimpse of eternity. I think he wanted to remind all of us that's where we're going. And when we get there, all the stuff that we used to be upset about won't matter. Get the big picture. We're in the book of life. And there's people that aren't in the book of life. And if we're not loving one another, how can we ever impact the lost world? How can we ever uh, have the Spirit anointing and power on us to be used by God to win lost people when we aren't even acting like saved people? And so Paul is telling them, I want you to agree in the Lord. What about if you need help? What about if the altercation is so bad you need mediation? Well, Paul addresses that in verse 2. He said, uh, help these women. See it? Or, uh, yeah, verse 3 rather. Help these women who have labored. Sometimes you need someone from the outside with some objectivity to come in. We've got a biblical counseling ministry at the church I'm part of. And every now and then we'll have these issues and we... Our, our leaders, our elders, our deacons, our biblical counselors, we at many times have been involved to help settle things, to get people together so that they can agree in the Lord. But we'll never have deep peace until we resolve personal conflict. Well, I need to move on. I want you to see something else to give us deep peace. Write this down. Choose joy daily. Choose joy daily. I'm in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Okay, context. Paul is writing from prison. This is one of the prison letters. And here's Paul talking about joy. The theme of Philippians. The book is all about joy. And it was written from a prison. Many of us believe it was the Mamertine prison. 
A few weeks ago, uh, on your staff, Grant Gaines, his brother Grady and I served together. Grady and Jennifer uh, went uh, to see their daughter, Julianne. She's a missionary in uh, Madrid, Spain. And they had a little bit of time to do some touring with their daughter and they went over to Rome when Grady got back first question I asked Grady did you go to the Mamertine prison he said I did and he took some pictures on his phone and he showed me I've always been fascinated because Paul spent some time in the Mamertine prison many believe may he may have even wrote Philippians from the Mamertine prison and I'm telling you something it was a hellhole it was a pit it was dank and dark and damp rodents would run all around I mean, it was a place just to wait to be executed. And would you listen tonight? That's the exact place that he is writing this phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. So you want deep peace? Choose joy daily. To rejoice is a choice. Misery is optional. And Paul is choosing joy. He does not know if he's going to live the next day. And he is writing about joy. I got to tap the brakes. We got to find out what's going on with Paul. We need to know what Paul knows. I mean, for a man to write this in the most terrible situation, we need to know what he knows. And what did he know? He knew God's presence. See, God's presence is not the absence of problems. God's presence is always his peace in the midst of problems. We always have the presence of God, therefore we always have joy. Joy has nothing to do with circumstances. It has everything to do with the reality of Jesus Christ in your life. We make joy circumstantial. We make joy associated with blue sky environment. But It rains on the just and the unjust and heartache comes. Deacons will get a foot amputated. A faithful sweet couple, the husband can get multiple strokes and can't come to church. One of the saints in the church can lose a brother to suicide. And all families deal with hospice situations. But it doesn't mean we can't have joy in it and through it all. And that's why Paul says choose joy. How does he get the joy? He has Jesus. Jesus was all about joy. John 15, 11. My joy be in you and your joy may be full because of a relationship with Jesus. Now, this was so important to Paul. (laughs) He repeats it. You ever notice that when the pastor's fired up about something, he'll repeat it. That's what Paul's doing. Look at verse four. Look at verse four. He's like, rejoice in the Lord always. And he's like, again, I say rejoice. I mean, you know why, you know why he repeated it? Cause we need to hear it repeated. We forget it. And Paul is repeating it before, for us tonight because continuous joy is a trait of a believer with deep peace. Notice the word rejoice. It is the verbal form of joy. In other words, it means it is displayed joy. You know, some Christians say, I have joy. Okay. Please notify your face cause you're scaring us right now. You look creepy. You look mad. You look like a serial killer. Would you please notify your face you have joy? So when we have the joy of the Lord, there's praise on our lips. Uh, It's like, you know, when those Pharisees would fast and 
You know, they didn't wash their face. They wouldn't look sad, so they could look super spiritual. When you fast, wash your face. Look cheerful. Why? Because you have a reality that is ongoing. The Lord is always with us. He is our shepherd, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with us. And this joy is supernatural delight in God and His plan, knowing Romans 8, 28, that whatever happens, God can cause it to work together for our good always. And always for His glory. Now, Paul lived this. Paul, Paul wasn't one of these preachers that just said stuff he didn't, you know, live out. I mean, he, he would traffic out this truth. Example, he was in prison in their town one time. He got locked up in Philippi. They beat him before they cuffed him. They beat him, cuffed him. They cuffed his wrists. They cut, cuffed his ankles. They beat him, didn't feed him. He and his buddy Silas were bleeding and bruised and needing a bunch of Advil. And you know what they did at midnight? Help me, church. They began to sing praises to God. How can anyone do this? A child of God. Because the Lord Jesus is in you. He'll never leave you. He is a fountain of joy that will never dry up. And every day when we choose joy... A feast before us is on God's banquet table. And we realize that God is with us and we can choose joy daily. Well, I got to move on. So we got to resolve personal conflict. And uh, we've got to choose joy. I have something else. It's in verse 5. Write this down. Have a gentle spirit. Have a gentle spirit. Look at verse 5. You look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone The Lord is at hand. Now, if you want deep peace, you need to have a gentle spirit. What's the opposite of a gentle spirit? Bitterness. A couple years ago, I think it was the first time Pastor Scott invited me to speak at the conference. I brought a message here on bitterness. And bitterness will rob you of peace. And so Paul is saying when we are gracious, when we are kind, one translator called this, Sweet reasonableness. And so that means you have a gentle spirit. You have a graciousness about you. And when that is in a marriage, it will be a peaceful marriage. When it's in a home, it will be a peaceful home. Paul said we are to be reasonable. Our culture is becoming less like this. Have you noticed how unkind our world is? I remember a day when people were more civil, more gracious. Even think about politics. I remember I graduated from Sandalwood High School in Jacksonville, Florida. I was a class of 1988. And President Ronald Reagan came to Jacksonville. All the seniors were let out of school early. And we went to the Jacksonville Coliseum and President Reagan. I can still remember he had on this dark brown suit. He was walking in that area. I wasn't far from him. And he spoke that day. What happened to statesmen like that? I mean, today, they're vicious. The way you could even be watching just a news station and they will not bleep the word in time. And men and women in the halls of Congress or our Senate 
can use such vulgar language. And you have you been noticing even in recent presidential debates, they are now middle school boy food fights. Do you see what's happened everywhere? I don't know about traffic in Jacksonville, Florida, but there are only two types of drivers in Georgia, the quick and the dead. My wife and I were on some errands a while back and traffic was real heavy. Our area is growing. We traveled this place called, this interstate called 985. And when we first moved to Georgia 20 years ago, it was pleasant to drive. Now it's crowded and bumper to bumper. And we were going somewhere and there's this little tiny car that was all beat up and they were proud. They probably had no auto insurance, you know, those folks. And they're weaving in and out. It was a young lady and she's weaving in and out. And what made it even more problematic as she was weaving in and out, she's putting her makeup on. So it was kind of this and woo, 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 and driving recklessly. And I'm, I'm telling you, it made me mad. I got ugly. Becky said, you're being ugly. I said, I'll repent later. And she's got this big old Ford Expedition with this Triton V8 engine in it. And I, I got, that girl was getting me upset. She's weaving in and out, weaving in and out. And I was just going to teach her a little respect. And then she started giving us the finger of fellowship. I can't get up. I wrote down her tag number thinking I might call the sheriff on her. I mean, it, I was beside myself. But you know what? That's the norm today. I tell you this, it's crept into the church. It's crept into our homes. It's crept into our small groups. And no longer are we gracious and kind to one another. I'm going to tell you, if you really want to see Christians misbehave, look at their social media feed. And by the way, you're not going to change the world with your Facebook posts. Just want to tell you that. I'm going to change the world. Now you're going to burn some bridges is what you're going to do. And so it's crept into the church. You know what? Pastor Scott, it's a sign that Jesus, his return is imminent because he said in the gospel of Matthew that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. That's why Paul is talking to the people of God. Don't be like the culture. It destroys peace. You want peace of mind. You want peace of heart. You want deep peace. Paul is telling us, be gentle. Be gracious. Be like our leader, the Lord Jesus, who said, I am gentle and humble of heart. And everywhere Jesus went, he was the healer. Not only did he heal people when he touched them, his words healed too. You know what? We could be, we could be healers. I'm not talking about faith healers. I'm just talking about we could heal lots of people by being nice. There's a lot of people, they are shriveled up in their soul. I, I, I particularly am interested in young people. And when I meet a young person, a, a, a teenager, and they won't look you in the eye, and, and, and you can just tell they got this low self-esteem. I find out their name. I find out their interest. And when I run into them, I call them by name. I want to get involved with their life as their pastor. You'll watch a teenager, how defeated and deflated they are. A few weeks later, they become my buddy. It's amazing how they perk up. They've been, that healing has started. People are gracious. People are kind. You know, you know what somebody told me years ago? 
You can tell a woman is in a marriage where she's not loved in the right way by her husband by looking at her face. I'm a student of people. I'm a people watcher. And at times you'll just, you'll just see a defeated countenance on a wife because that husband is not loving her like Jesus loved the church. He's, he's not following the, the, the wisdom of, of Peter in chapter three when he says, dwell with your wife, love them, be courteous to them. So much could change in our marriages, our families, and our homes. Deep peace. Listen, you don't, I'm going to save you money. You don't have to go to Disney and spend a billion dollars. You can have a Disney existence in your home if you just start being gracious. If you just start being kind. It's amazing how God will use that to heal hearts when we are gentle and kind and reasonable. And that's, and that's what God is calling us to do through the words of Paul here. How do you do that? Let insignificant things slide. Mom and dad with your kids. Do, do more, do more bragging than nagging. Affirm them, build them up. Don't tear them down. Uh, my son plays basketball and I'm telling you, people can lose their mind at sporting events. I, I just, I just look at these sporting events and, 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 and they, they just, they, you know what I wouldn't want to be? A basketball referee. You can win. You got, you got grandmas out there spitting tobacco juice on them. And there's just something about these dads that will berate their children out there, their son there. And here's that man. He's berating his son. Run! That dad's got a belly this big. Run, boy, run! I want to say you run, fat man. I mean, he's doing the best he can. And so let things slide. Learn to, learn to praise people in your home. Build up, encourage, edify. Quit walking around with a clipboard penalizing everybody. I'll tell you, let me tell you about an event in my life. I went to a little elementary school on the south side of Jacksonville. And they made me a patrol in fifth grade. Were you a patrol? I had an orange safety belt. I'd polish my badge like Barney Fife at night. Then they made me captain of patrols for a month. And I gave out more demerits in the history of that school. And everybody hated me. And there's a lot of us, we just give demerits all the time. Looking for things to get on the people about. Let me tell you something. You're not... Having any peace in your heart doing that, nor are you a person of peace where God has planted you. Paul says in verse 5, you know why we should have a gentle spirit? Look what he says in verse 5b. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? I have no idea. I'm being serious. I got some ideas, but I mean, really, we really can't know what that means. But it, it has to mean one or two things. It has to mean... The Lord is near and he's watching what you're doing. That, that'd be something good. Growing up, when we'd misbehave, my mama would say, your dad's going to be pulling in this driveway in about five minutes. And, and we'd become missionaries on the mission field. So it could mean the Lord is at hand. He is near in proximity and his eyes are on you and he's watching what you're doing. Or it could mean 
Christ's coming is so close. And all this stuff we're being mean to people about. And all this stuff we're stepping on people's heads about. It doesn't matter when Jesus Christ appears and Jesus comes. We need an eternal perspective. And when we live with eternity in view, we will learn to have a gentle spirit. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is coming. The Lord is watching. So therefore, we should be gracious. And by the way, who is the most gracious person to grace the planet? He was full of grace, John says, about our Lord. So let me give you one more. And then we'll have our altar call tonight. How to have deep peace. Resolve personal conflict. That's what Paul said to us. He said, choose joy daily. Have a gentle spirit. Look at this last one. Refuse to be anxious. Refuse to be anxious. Now, verse 6 is really the heart of this passage that we have often quoted and memorized. Look at it in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I don't know if you're one of those people that underline your Bible, but I just, I did, underlined it in red. I just think that's a good verse to underline. Do not be anxious about anything. Why don't you underline that right now? Because you may not need it now, but you're going to need it in February. You may not need it in February, but you're going to need it in March. Something's going to happen. Bill's going to come. Doctor's going to leave you a voicemail. Some relationship's going to break down. Some truck's going to break down. And you're going to have to go back to the Word. And you have to look what God said in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, you know, it was Warren Wiersbe that said, the forgotten beatitude, blessed are the balanced, right? There's a balance to this. He's not saying not to be concerned. Some people say, do not be anxious about anything. Hey, your oil light came on 3,000 miles ago. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't, don't be a nitwit. I mean, if there's something you can do about something, do something about it. But if there's something you can't do about it, put it in God's hands. Rest in Him. Do not be anxious. See the word anxious? Do a little word study. You know what it means? To divide. To tear, to go into different directions. Basically, be pulled apart. So anytime we get anxious, what's happening is, it's like pulling us apart. It's like tearing us apart. What did James say about a double-minded man? He's unstable. So anxiety means to pull apart. You ever heard someone say, I'm so worried, I feel like I'm coming apart. You are, because... It means that. Also, the epitomology of the word worry comes from a German origin. And it means to strangle. I think that'd be the, the worst way to die. Someone jumping on me and like choking me and strangling me. That's exactly what you're doing to yourself when you're anxious. It means to tear apart, to cut up, to choke, to strangle. So who wants to just like do more of that? Now, you know what the word peace means? To bring together. Worry means to pull apart. Peace means to join together. And so Paul is teaching us here that we are to refuse to be anxious. We are to refuse to let worry dominate our mind. 
Worry will do the same thing to you mentally that sand will do to machinery. Worry divides your mind. It destroys your peace. It diseases your heart. It disintegrates your dreams. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 about worry? Let me, let me just read a few verses. No need to turn. I'll read. He said in Matthew 6, 25, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What is Jesus saying? Anytime we are anxious, we diminish our value as children of God. When we had our children... When they were younger. My son's a senior in high school. My daughter got married last year. But when they were younger, our kids never came to us saying, I'm worried. I'm not going to have a bed to sleep in tonight. I'm worried that we're not going to eat. We didn't want them to worry about any of that. And even when we would have times in our married life that we didn't know how we might pay a bill, we never said to the kids, hey, kids, pack up your bags. We're moving to the rescue mission. No, we'd, we'd shield them from that. We'd work it out. We, we pray together. We trust God. We want our children to know it's okay. Mom and dad, we're going to provide. We would not want them to live like an orphan. But listen to me. Come up close and hear this. Many of us live like orphans. We diminish our value and we forget that we are sons and daughters of God. And he will take care of our needs. When you worry, it drains peace out of your heart. It's like looking at a fuel gauge that was on F for full. But when you worry, you can almost just see it go to three quarters, half, quarter. You're running on empty. You're draining your strength. Wasn't it Corey Ten Boone that says, uh, if I could say it right, she says, we pull, we pull today's clouds over tomorrow's sunshine. We'll worry about something in the future and what you're doing is you're pulling clouds over today's sunshine, worried about something that you're not trusting God for. Here's a great statement. I'm going to say it slow because I want you to write it down if you're a note taker. Somebody needs this. When, uh, excuse me, what you worry about, write that down. What you worry about most, what you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. What you worry about most reveals where you trust God the least. And what you worry about most is so true. That's the area that you're trusting God in the least. Well, what do we do? Verse 6b, but in everything, look at verse 6b, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says you reject worry and you replace it with something. So if you reject worry, you got to replace it with what? He says prayer. And by the way, that word for prayer, it just means it's also translated worship. Instead of wringing your hand, raise your hands and worship. So on my phone, uh, I've got playlist and I've got a playlist and I've called it wor- uh, worship over worry. And I've got like 36 songs on it. 
It's my worship over worry playlist. So if I ever get anxious, I'm a walker. I like to walk, walk every day. And I'll put in my AirPods and I'll get my playlist, worship over worry. And I'll just let the praises of God. I got hymns on there. I got great worship songs. I've got how great thou art that we were doing earlier. That's how you combat anxiety. This prayer that Paul is referring to could be translated worship. You're worshiping God. Look at the word supplication. That means that you cry out to God. This is some serious praying when you've got concern. Maybe even fasting. Look at the word thanksgiving. That means gratitude. I don't have anything to be grateful for. Your eyes are closed. Your head is in the sand. Gratitude does wonders for us when we begin to take our frustrations and get perspective of say, you know, God is good. God is faithful and I can always find something to give God thanks for even the bad stuff because the trials are tools that God uses to change us and sanctify us. And then notice the word request. That means that we are specific when we come to God about what's on our heart. Never demanding. You never boss God around. God's not the bellhop. You ring the bell and he grabs your bags. He is sovereign, holy God. And we can come to him with requests, but we're never demanding. What happens in verse 7? Well, we get this peace. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, here it is, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love when he said the peace of God. The peace that God has, he gives me. The, the peace that I have that's deep and tranquil and serene, it's actually God's peace. It's heaven's peace. And he's deposited in my life. It's the word shalom. I love the word shalom. It means wholeness. It means fulfillment. It means you flourish. It means harmony. It's God's peace that just, he says, guard. All of them knew what Paul meant when he said guard. They knew all about the Roman army. And the Roman army... They had iron boots. And when a Roman army would encircle a town to protect it, everybody in town could sleep at night knowing that the army encircled the town to keep them safe. You, you know why you can sleep at night? Because God works the night shift. Stop staying up worrying because God has peace guards all around you. And he's going to take care of his people. Okay, now... Let's apply the text. We're getting ready for altar call. Let's just, let's just ask ourselves this question. How to have deep peace? Got to resolve conflict. Is there someone right now that you're at odds with and you need to come before the Lord at the prayer altar and say, God, I've had some animosity. I, I, I need you to help me. I may need to go to the elders and get them to help me. I got to resolve that conflict or you can't have deep peace. Are you choosing joy? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Okay, you're going to do it? You're going to do it? And then, and then, and then Paul talked about a gentle spirit. It's amazing what can happen in relationships if we would just learn to be more Christ-like and kind in our words and our demeanor and build up and not tear down. And then we're going to refuse Anxiety. We're going to refute. We're going to say no to anxiety. And what are we going to do? We're going to worship. We're going to get us a playlist. 
Worship over worry. We're going to take some scriptures and write them on index cards and put them on our refrigerator. We're, we're going to take a scripture and make it our screensaver. We're, we're, we're going to constantly fill our mind with the word of God so God's peace guards can guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We've, it's time to live out the truth. Let me, let me tell you something. You didn't come on a Friday night to audit a sermon, did you? What good is it for you to come to church and listen to me teach the Word of God with no plan to live it out? So here's our opportunity in this altar call. Some of us just need to humbly kneel before the Lord and say, God, help me. Even bring your Bible to the altar and say, God, help me tonight. Live out this truth in this year, 2024. What's the theme of this conference? Follow me. And you know, when you follow Jesus as a disciple, it means you come alongside Him And when you're walking with Jesus, you're going to be full of peace. You're going to be full of peace when you're walking with Jesus. I saw this uh, sign. It went like this. You've seen it before. It said, N-O, no God, N-O, no peace. And then it said, no, K-N-O-W, no God, no peace. And the only way we can know peace is to have Jesus become our peace, have a relationship with him. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want you to close your Bibles, but keep your hearts open tonight. This message has been for the believer, right? Many of us need some peace. And right from the scripture, God has showed us. And you know what you need to do now? You need to just obey. You just need to let go of your anxiety. Come to the prayer altar. Have someone pray over you. Ask God just to take his word and just get it in your spiritual bloodstream. And trust Him. Do you not know the Lord as your Savior? Oh, everybody here on a Friday night is born again. Don't be so quick on that. Could be someone here tonight. You're here visiting. You've been coming for a while. And you know what's missing in your life. The peace of God. See, before you can have the peace of God, you need to have peace with God. Those prepositions are weighted. You need peace with God. And that comes only through Jesus Christ. And when you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you can have God's peace. Father, thank you tonight for the Bible, the Word of God. Thank you for Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring this text and speaking into our lives as we've heard it taught. And God, we want to live it out. This is the first meeting of our conference And oh, what this conference could be if we'd all come each night with deep peace, ready to receive God's word. So let this tonight be the launching pad for something great. We'll give glory to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.